0: Thank you, Mark, and good morning, Lakewood. It is a joy and a pleasure to be with you all this morning. And uh, second service is always my favorite service because there's no time limits. I won't do that to you. Our passage this morning is found in 1 John. 1 John, starting in chapter 2. I'm going to read for you the whole chunk that we're going to be looking at this morning. It's a lot of verses, so hang with me. But 1 John, chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, (coughs) through uh, the first 10 verses of chapter 3. Here we go. John says, Dear children, this is the last hour. I do not write this to you because you did not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from truth. Who is the liar? It's the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Verse 24, See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what He promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from Him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about all things... And as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. How great is the Father the Father's love towards us, that He has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when He appears, we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. Everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. Everyone who sinned breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that He appeared so that He might take away our sins. And in Him is no sin. No one who lives in Him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen Him or know Him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. And this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. There is so much in this text before us this morning. There is no way we're going to unpack all of that this morning. I'm going to try to hit some highlights, but here's your homework for this next week. you got to go back through and read all of that and see if you can... Uh, Can figure out where all these different phrases uh, and parts of sentences that the Apostle John is, is putting together for us here. But let's hit some of the highlights. And the first one, right away in verse 18, well, I've got some bad news for you. It's a warning. And it's a warning that tough times are coming. Tough times are coming. That is about the last thing living in 2020 we need to hear. I mean, what? What a garbage year. And guess what? Good news! It's going to get worse. Uh, John begins with telling telling his, his hearers that, dear children, this is the last hour. Now, We need to take care of some housekeeping things here before we really get into the major points of the text because this is just so blatantly there. This is the last hour. Well, was John thinking that, boy, as soon as he's done penning this letter, Jesus was going to come? Well, if that's the case, it's been a long hour. (coughs) There's probably a better rendition in the Greek, to say that this is a last hour. And you've lived through that. There have been many times when you know that, okay, the time that we're living in right now, and I believe this is one of them, is a turning point hour. It's a turning point time. John says, this is a last hour. Um, He and his disciples knew that Christ's resurrection ushered in this last phase of God's work. We went through the Old Testament. Jesus came. Jesus was revealed. Jesus taught us about God. He was crucified, raised from the dead, and told his disciples, and I'm coming again. Oh, we're in this last phase. And this last phase of God's work on earth has a lot of pieces to it. (coughs) <coughs> it's just like any trip you take a whole bunch of times. You know, okay, well, for me, I travel back and forth between the cities and, and, and camp a lot. It's just part of the nature of the work. And, boy, there are phases to that final trip home. Oh, I get north of Little Falls. Oh, I get into that section on Highway 10 that is so nondescript, I don't know where I am. When Debbie calls, uh, Siri helps us, when Debbie calls me on the phone, where are you? And I go, um, and she knows right away. Oh, I know where you are. Because it's this nondescript. And, 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 and then you come over the hill and, and see the phone tower and then the BP gas station and then Pine Ridge Golf Course and Ridge Road. And then I get past camp and then I get to my driveway and then I shut the car off. That last trip has lots of pieces to it. And that's what John and his, uh, his friends are experiencing. So don't read this as meaning that John believed that Christ's return was going to happen at any moment, I don't think. There's a word that's not in, in your scriptures, but we use it often when we're talking about last things, about eschatological things. The word is imminent. We talk about uh, Christ's return as being imminent. Imminent. And we should. Imminent has two definitions. One is that it could happen at any moment. Oh, this event is imminent. Christ could come in the next 30 seconds. He really could. That'd be wonderful. And if he does, i got to erase and change a whole bunch of my eschatological charts. Because there's a second meaning to imminent. And that means for sure, or it's a certainty. Imminent is a certainty. A, a, an example of that would be in the middle of the night. If you're having a terrible night, can't sleep, and, or, or your car broke down alongside the road in the middle of the night, you have the hope of morning, of a sun coming up. It's imminent. It's a for sure thing. Now, that doesn't mean that the sun could come up at any moment. That would be odd. But you know it's coming. It's a for sure thing. It's imminent. And I believe that that is a better... I I know Christ could come at any moment. But I believe that more importantly, it's a for sure thing. Um. And Jesus himself, back in Matthew 24, Jesus tells us that, yep, even the Son of Man doesn't know the day or the hour. But have you ever noticed, a whole bunch of us like to grab onto that verse, Jesus himself, the Son, doesn't know the day or the hour. But then, in that same passage where he says that, he takes a chapter and a half Describing everything that's going to happen before he comes so that you're not unaware. So that you're ready. He says, be watching for this and for this. And oh, when you see, know that my return is soon. So, bottom line, the return of Christ is imminent. The appearance of false Christs that John warns us about here now. The appearance of false Christ is actually a sign that we're in this last phase. It's a sign that we're in this last phase of this final trip. Again, in Matthew 25, <clears throat> verse 20 um, in, sorry, Matthew 24. <clears throat> in verse 10: 20, Jesus says, "If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom He has chosen, He shortened them." And at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe in it, for false prophets and messiahs will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. This appearing of false teachers, of antichrists, is actually a sign of his soon return. Look at verse 18 and 19. John says, and these antichrists are here now. These antichrists are here now. In fact, there's a lot of them. Okay, a little side note again. Satan is not omniscient. Satan doesn't know everything. God is omniscient. Satan is not. Now, now this is Herb, this is not gospel, okay? This is Herb, so you can disagree with any of this and you'll be fine. I don't think Satan knows who the final Antichrist will be. Only God knows that. And that's why he has to train up many of them, hoping one of them will eventually stick. There have been some evil actors in history that I'll bet he thought, oh, At last, this is the one. But John tells us there are many antichrists and they are here now. And a characteristic of these antichrists and the ultimate antichrist is that they are liars. And that they deny that Jesus is the Christ. Everyone has a Christ. Everyone has someone they serve. Bob Dylan, back when a lot of people thought he was a believer, even wrote about it. you got to serve somebody. It might be the devil. It might be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. I can't do it like him. You wouldn't want me to. And you know what? He was absolutely right. And usually the one that I serve is me. If Jesus isn't your Christ, you're going to serve somebody, and it's probably going to be yourself. Lots of times at camp, uh, we do lessons on, on world religions and different cults and, and that sort of a thing. And I used to, uh, oh man, I had all these charts and tried to keep track of, okay, what do Christian science believe? What do Mormons believe? What do seven, you know, uh, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses believe? What, and trying to keep all of that straight, I don't do that anymore. There's only one thing. You need to know to identify a cult, to identify a false teacher. What do they say about Jesus? What do they say about Jesus? Who do you say Christ is? It all boils down to that. So there's a difficult time coming. It's going to get worse. And in this worse time, there's going to be false teachers. And so then I think John gives us two protections, two two ways that we can protect ourselves from falling prey to those false teachings. And the first, concerning this warning of difficult times to come, the first is to love Jesus by remembering your anointing. Love Jesus by remembering your anointing. Verse 24, he says, don't let go of what you know to be true. He says, as for you, see what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. And if it does, those are scary words. See that what you knew from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us eternal life. What you've heard from the beginning, Dave preached on it a couple weeks ago. Uh, John starts his letter with it, chapter 1, the first three verses. John says, Not only were we eyewitnesses, we were ear witnesses, we were touch witnesses. I can tell you what what Jesus smells like. I can tell you what he sounds like. I can tell you when his voice cracks. I can tell you what he gets emotional over. We weren't just eyewitnesses. We lived with him, and we can tell you he's the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. But if it does, if this knowledge remains in you, you know what that says to me? That you and I have a responsibility in this. If you have, has a responsibility in this. And if you remain in me to the end, there's the promise of eternal life. And eternal life matters. Okay, uh, I'm going to show you how old I am. Uh, Anyone remember Andre Crouch and the disciples? Oh, yes, thank you. (laughs) You're all old. Andre Crouch and the Disciples. Oh, we used to listen to them. Oh, with the Imperials and Memory Lane. They had a song, Ebby Tornquist. See, I'm looking to the Solsteds because... Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, just my era. We grew up the same. Andre Crouch and the Disciples, uh, they, they had a song. Uh, you may ask me why I serve the Lord. Is it just for heaven's gain? Or to walk those mighty streets of gold and to hear the angels sing? Start singing, Sherry. Is it just to drink from the fountain that never shall run dry? Or just to live forever, ever, and ever in that sweet, sweet by and by? But if heaven was never promised to me, neither God's promise to live eternally, it's been worth just having the Lord in my life, living in a world of darkness, you came along and brought me the light. I understand the sentiment, but I think it's false. I understand that, oh, even if there isn't an eternity, just having Jesus in my life now is worth it all. I, I, I get the sentiment. But here's what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sin. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people are most to be pitied. Eternity matters. And I wonder if we kept eternity more in the forefront of our mind, I wonder how that would change things. If we understood that someday death is going to happen, but that's just the beginning, that then I'm in the presence of my Jesus, 2020 will feel like a little blip. In fact, compared to eternity, my whole life might seem like a little blip. And how might that change the things that I say, the things that I get worried about, the things that I post online? How might that change my actions? How might that change my interactions with my brothers and those who don't know Jesus? It may cause us to respond differently. Verse 26, he says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. If you jump back to verse 19, he says, They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. They went out from us. What sad words. What painful words. Some that are out there now leading people astray were from us. You know some of them. You remember having sweet fellowship with them, and now they're numb to the gospel and even antagonistic towards it. A man who was involved in my ministerial licensing today doesn't know Jesus the way he used to. In fact, he's a national leader in the emergent church. It's sad. Just recently, I've been having conversation on Facebook with a young man who I admire. I admire. He is a fantastic father. But he doesn't follow Jesus anymore. He used to. In fact, led others to Christ. But in our most recent conversation, He says, heard by me, no disrespect, but my life's path has taken me down many a dark road and far away from a belief in God, let alone a desire to join his followers. And at any time I feel a yearning for the faith of my youth, I'm confronted with things like this, the issue that we were dealing with about the hypocrisy of other believers, that remind me why I walked away in the first place. Maybe one day my path will intertwine with something better, but for now I have to be okay with where I am. This is not meant to be a statement of judgment by any means. I am most flawed and perfection is beyond my reach. At this moment, I simply want to find peace and be able to coexist with those I disagree with. Perhaps a better day will come. I love this young man. We used to have sweet fellowship, and I pray that someday we will again. Lee Strobel, who wrote A Case for Christ and then A Case for Faith, talks about Charles Templeton. Charles Templeton was a contemporary, a friend, or even a roommate of Billy Graham's. And together, they preached at different crusades. In fact, Templeton had a 1,200-seat church that he started in London, England. But he walked away from Jesus. And Lee Strobel got a chance to interview him shortly before his death. And he asked him about God, and his Templeton's response, Is there a God How could anyone believe in a God who does or allows what goes on in the world? And so how do you assess this Jesus? Strobel asked. It seemed like the next logical question, but I wasn't ready for the response it would invoke. Templeton's body language softened. It was as if he suddenly felt relaxed and comfortable in talking about an old and dear friend. His voice, which at times had displayed such a sharp and insistent edge, now took on a melancholy and reflective tone. His guard seemingly down, he spoke in an unhurried pace, almost nostalgically, carefully choosing his words as he talked about Jesus. He was, Templeton began, the greatest human being who has ever lived. He was a moral genius. His ethical sense was unique. He was the intrinsically wisest person that I have ever encountered in my life or in my readings. His commitment was total and led to his own death, much to the detriment of the world. What could one say about him except that this was a form of greatness? I was taken aback. You sound like you really care about him, I said. Well, yes. He's the most important thing in my life, came his reply. I, 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 he stuttered, searching for the right word. I I know it may sound strange, but I have to say, I adore him. I wasn't sure how to respond. You say that with such emotion, I said. Well, yes. Everything good I know. Everything decent I know. Everything pure I know, I learned from Jesus. Yes, yes, and tough. Just look at Jesus. He castigated people. He was angry. People don't think of him that way, but they don't read their Bible. He had a righteous anger. He cared for the oppressed and exploited. There's no question that he had the highest moral standard, the least duplicity, the greatest compassion of any human in history. There have been many other wonderful people, but Jesus is Jesus. And so the world would do well to emulate him? Oh my goodness, yes, I have tried and try as far as I can go to act as I believe he would act. That doesn't mean I could read his mind because one of the most fascinating things about him was that he often did the opposite of what you'd expect. Abruptly, Templeton cut his thoughts. There was a brief pause, almost as if he was uncertain whether he should continue. Ah, But, no, he said slowly, he's the most. He stopped and then started again. In my view, he declared, he's the most important human being who has ever existed. And that's when Templeton uttered the words I never expected to hear from him. And if I may put it this way, he said, as his voice began to crack, I miss him. And with that, tears flooded his eyes. He turned his head and looked down, raising his hand to shield his face from me. His shoulders bobbed as he wept. I wish I knew Jesus as well as that atheist. And he still wandered away. There are lots of things that can drag you away. And I pray that those who have gone out from us will, before it's too late, feel that tugging of God on their hearts again. In verse 20 and 27, John speaks about this anointing that you have, this thing that we need to hang on to, this love that we have for Jesus. In verse 20 he says, But you have an anointing from the Holy Spirit, and all of you know the truth. Verse 27, as for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as has taught you, remain in him. Your anointing, that call of God on your life, the drawing of the Holy Spirit on your life, In verse 20, King James uses the word unction. Of course it does. It's King James. That's why I love it. I love that word simply because we don't use it anymore and it speaks to that mysterious prompting and tugging of the heart by the Holy Spirit. Many of you have heard and responded to that call and I pray that those of you that haven't responded to that tugging of God on your heart that you won't resist Him any longer, but you'll abandon yourself to Him. As we already pointed out, we have to remain in Him. The time you spend in God's Word is protection from falling into falsehood. If you want to recognize counterfeit money, you study real money. If you want to identify a a, a fake Da Vinci painting, you study the real Da Vinci paintings. For your protection for this time to come, love Jesus and remember your anointing. Remember that first love. And oh, what a love he has lavished on us, that he would call us his kids. The second protection that we have from these false teachers, the second protection concerning this warning of tough times is to love Jesus by doing what Jesus does. Love Jesus by being involved in his work, doing what Jesus does. Verse 6, no one who keeps it in chapter 3, no one who keeps him, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or know him. Those are hard words. Do You want protection from this tough time to come? in this time where you're in danger of falling away, then stop sinning. Stop it. Put away unrighteous things. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. And this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. Wow, how might that demonstration of doing the things that God does, being involved in the things that Jesus does, how might that change, again, our interactions, what we put online, of how we respond to each other, how want my Facebook post look different if, we, if differently if we live by verse seven. The one who does what is right is righteous. Hmm. Stop sinning and be about the business of doing what Jesus does. Being involved in doing what Jesus does will allow us to go from remembering that anointing, remembering our first love. And it allows us to go to experiencing that anointing every day. It's not just having to rely on a memory of what God did for me. It starts there, but now being able to say, guess what Jesus did last week? And when these false teachings and tough times come, I don't have to look back so far. I can say, wow, we've seen God work this way and this way and this way. How do you get to see those things? Do what Jesus does and get in over your head. He loves rescuing his kids. Get in over your head. Go to China when everyone says you're absolutely foolish and watch God work. Go to Romania shortly after the fall of Ceausescu, as this church did once, and help believers reconnect and rebuild and a whole generation of orphans because all of their parents were killed in that 15, or in that uh, Ceausescu uh, dictatorship. Go to Liberia after a 15-year civil war. Get in way over your head financially. If there's a square mile of property next to your camp, and it's 1.3 million dollars, Go for it. And we had this amazing goal to pay it off in 10 years. $100,000 a year. We were, we were going to do everything. And, and God said, well, how about 18 months? Should I do it in 18 months? Okay. Yeah. Bring Jesus into every place that you go now I've told you about it before, and I don't want to give too many details, but there's a local organization, a secular organization that I'm part of, that when we started working with this secular organization, oh my goodness, there were so many arguments, so much yelling and swearing, almost fistfights. One guy always came drunk to the meetings. And today, eight years later, Most of those meetings open in prayer. In fact, just last Tuesday, in our meeting, we opened in prayer, and we stopped to pray some more halfway through. And this being asked for by well several people who don't know Jesus yet. Get in over your head so I can be able to say, you... Yeah, I know there's a tough time coming, but God is faithful, not just because I remember my first love and how he drew me, but you should have seen what he did last week. want protection from tough times, protection from the danger of falling away. Do what Jesus does now. I can tell you that when you do that, people speak languages they don't know. I can tell you that when you have no physical resource left, angels show up. I can tell you that the prayers of saints are stronger than bullets. I can tell you that God can make water come from a rock. I've seen it. That's the greatest protection from falling away. To be able to routinely see God work. That's what we need to be about. Loving Jesus. Don't forget your anointing. And loving Jesus by doing what he does. You'll see I've left the conclusion blank. That's up to you. You may have to identify what are some things I need to set aside. If you are a follower of Jesus, stop sinning. Stop it. Get some help if you need it. Get covenant eyes on all of your devices. Get part of a not an accountability group. I hate those because I'm a really good liar. Become part of a community that knows when you're lying. They know you well enough. So stop sinning. And then the next step is what do you need to step out into? What is God tugging on your heart now? What is the Holy Spirit prompting you to think about, boy, maybe God is calling me to do that? And go for it. And you know what? If you're an absolute failure at it and make a fool out of yourself, in eternity, no one's going to remember. Live with that in your foresight Love Jesus. Don't forget your anointing. Love Jesus by doing the things that he would do. And you'll be safe. You'll be safe. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you do continue to work. I thank you that every single day, if we're looking for it, that we can get better and better at seeing how you're working and where you're working. Father, remind us of that time that your Spirit first drew us, and maybe for some that is today. And help them to respond to the prompting of your Spirit. And then for all of us, Father, help us to walk as your children, to walk in your light, so that we get to see how you work and how you do things. In your name, amen.